Hey, everybody. Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code PODCAST23, you're going to save 20% on any merch. So anything you can find on that website, use PODCAST23 at shopfd.com. Save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever. Just use the code. Save yourself some money. So why not? You know, don't, don't stop listening. Wait till the show's done. But then head over, shopfd.com. Use podcast 23. We'll see you guys out there. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Outer Zone, the official podcast of Formula Drift. My name, as always, is Jacob Gettins. And this week, uh, the last episode of the year, which is kind of cool, too, uh, I've got Mr. Taylor Hall on. What's uh, what's up? Man, just excited to finally make it on here and get to sit down and have a little bit of a chat. I, I feel like you're one of the guys that, like, almost every round, I tr- like... We, we end up hanging out, like, even for, like, 10 minutes. Like, just in the pits or something like that, or up in the spotter stand, or, like, there's always at least 10 minutes that you and I, like, kind of just shoot the shit and hang out for a few. And so, yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, absolutely. It should be fun. Yeah, yeah. So, have, have you have you enjoyed any part of the off-season yet? Like, is it... Have you, like, taken a moment to breathe yet? No, not at all. Um <laughs> I stay extremely busy between like what I do with a normal job and then I do all types of other stuff outside of FD. So I run a drifting school. So I've been really busy with that. And then I do like cannonball type events too. And we had one of those right after FD and then SEMA and uh, didn't get a chance to go to PRI. I saw you guys were up there, but um, no, I really haven't taken a breath at all. Yeah. I, well, I mean, that's, Good. I mean, it's nice to stay busy, but I, I'm sure it's like over the, the holiday break, you'll probably take a couple of days to, to breathe, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. My parents are coming in um, for Christmas here next weekend. So we'll take a couple of days to decompress um, where I'll be forced to stay out of the shop and <laughs> spend time with my family and that'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, dude, I, I completely know the feeling like even I'm like looking at my schedule, you know, throughout the holidays and stuff. I'm like, oh, I should probably like try and fit this in there. My wife's like, no, you got to like, you got to take a couple of days. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I don't know. I just, I get real antsy. Like, like if I'm, if there's like a full day where I don't feel like I'm doing something, I'm like vibrating, like, okay, I need to, need to find something to do. Yeah. If I ever sit down and like watch TV, I kind of start, my mind starts drifting into what I could be doing with that time. <laughs> yes. I know. I, I honestly, like, I don't know the... It's it's very rare where I will I'll sit down. It's usually like a movie where I'll sit down and like actually like put my phone down, won't pick it up, and just stare at the screen for two hours. But it's got to be a movie that I really really want to watch. Other than that, even when I'm watching TV, I'm I'm on Instagram, I'm messaging people, I'm arranging you know like drivers and doing work and stuff. Like I don't know, I just I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't have time to dig into <laughs> TV or other people's lives too much with everything we've got going on. You know when you're deep into something like this, it's hard to get into other people's stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do know you obviously make a bit of time for football. I, I was going through your your socials and and you've got some strong opinions as to what's going on with college football right now. So, Yeah, very deep opinions as I'm a <laughs> diehard die Garnet and Gold Florida State fan and my poor Seminoles got left the college football playoff and I think it's an absolute travesty. But, <laughs> you know... Um, that is the one thing I do take time to do on Saturdays in the fall. Uh, I mean, it's, it's good. I, I, for me, obviously like, you know, being up in Canada, it's, it's hockey. Like I will, I will try and catch at least one hockey game a week where I'm like actually sitting and watching the same thing. Like I'll have my phone out doing something else too. But, uh, do you, do you get to watch, um, much other racing as well? Like obviously you're, you're pretty, 
deep into uh, asphalt, but uh, is there is there any time to sit and watch NASCAR or even just like local whatever? I mean, whatever's on Mav TV, I guess. Yeah, so I've I'm pretty close with some people that do asphalt short track racing um, here locally. Probably the the most renowned short track racer in the country, Bubba Pollard, is right down the street from me, and he's the one that actually oh, cool. helped me with some of my. Um, him and Mark Buckner, his crew chief, helped me with some of my oval track racing this year, um, which I foolishly tried to do uh, during the season of FD because, you know, I, like we just said, I have a lot of spare time. So I took that yeah. on during the season of FD and they helped me with that. But so I'll keep up with him and what they're doing and what their schedule is. I'll watch a little bit of NASCAR when it's, um, especially when it's the tracks I enjoy and things like that. I've still got some some friends and some people that like I coached back when they were in legends cars and stuff that are in NASCAR now. So it's cool to keep up with those guys. Yeah. It's kind of, that's kind of sick. I mean, you've got a, a pretty decent little roster of, of drivers that you've worked with that have obviously made it to the big leagues. Um, Mason Massey, Garrett, uh, Austin Sindrick. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a, a pretty good list, man. It's kind of, I don't think people realize like how deep into that world you, you really were. All right, I mean, you still are, really. Yeah, I've I've kind of dabbled in and out ever since I've done the drifting thing. But um, yeah, I worked with William Byron and some of those other guys when they were coming up through Legends Cars when I worked for Doug Stevens. Um, but yeah, I was really, really deep into the asphalt oval, oval world. Um, and I finally just kind of got burnt out on mm. that whole thing. And just one day, just cold turkey sold all my stuff and bought an S13 that was partially LS swapped and uh, sort of finished it. And I, I didn't know anything about drifting. I'd been to like two drift events and one FD Atlanta um, when I did that. You know, I had a couple of friends that were into it. I'm just like, I need to try something else. I need a fresh start. Mm. And um, oval track stuff, just to kind of dive into that a little bit, it's similar uh, money-wise as drifting at like a base grassroots level, but... As you go up the ladder, it is exponentially more expensive than yeah. drifting is, even at the pro level. Yeah, it, it escalates quite quickly. Um, it's it's interesting because, like, obviously that that style of racing is is so predominant. Like, I, I I mean, you go anywhere, any state, and and on any weekend, you know, you're no more than a thirty minute drive from from somewhere that's doing it. Like, it's 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 one of those things that. Only in the last couple of years that I've really opened my eyes to how big that whole thing is, especially when you start mixing in like, um, you know, dirt track as well. Like it's, and, and the funny part is it's usually like one track next to the other. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy how big that is and how many people are into it. And I would have figured more people would have come from dirt and moved into drifting than maybe from asphalt, just, just because of the, I guess the similarities in car control. Um, I did like. Have you dabbled in in dirt at all? I, I obviously, like you said, you ran legends for a long time, but a little bit. Um, yeah, and I've always wanted to kind of get into it a little bit deeper to see how deep those similarities go because I think it's probably not as deep as what people think it is. You know, you see a okay. car sideways on asphalt, and you see a car sideways on dirt, and you think you know those correlate um, a lot, but in reality, I don't think they do. The two things, or the thing that I think would surprise most people about both of those things, is the amount of grip that you actually have in either one of them. You think dirt's like you think drifting, you know, the cars are set up loose. At least people that, you know, go at a grassroots level that, and they are to some degree at that. But um, I think in both, there's so much grip in those, you know, when a, when you see a dirt super late model, those things have 
about what we have as far as power goes, you know, eight, yeah. nine, a thousand horsepower, you know, they're in a, and they're big cubic inch and all that. And when the track gets tacky, they hook up and they can damn near mad it all the way around like a half or a five, eight mile track. And the crazy thing about dirt racing and, you know, maybe why I should have dabbled in that instead of the asphalt <laughs> piece when I, when I went back to it, especially in the Southeast or in the Midwest, you can go within four hours of where I live on any given Saturday night and race for $20,000. It's wild. The amount of mm-hmm. money that gets thrown around in that stuff. Yeah. It's uh, a friend of mine uh, got into it a couple of years ago and that's like what, what more or less like opened my eyes to it. And I mean, he's only running, I mean, they've got a bunch of different names, but essentially like the two, three, you know, Mustang, a lot of the front wheel drive guys yeah. get that munched in there as well. Uh, but hearing like tire squealing on dirt, that was my first like, oh, wait a minute, like these are way grippier than I originally thought. And then, you know, really diving back into, into like some of the history and um, what's what's really interesting right now, and I, I don't know if like the drifting community really grasped onto it, is like ASD that really started, you know, pushing into and developing a lot of stuff with, and, and eventually kind of became RTR in some ways, just got into dirt. And it's like, it, there was like an announcement at PRI, like, it's one of those, I'm like, okay, hang on. This whole weird thing is starting to come full circle. And I'm like, maybe there's more to this than like we thought, because like even the Mustangs, like that three-wheeling motion that was going on for a long time, that's something that was pulled from dirt track. And it's like, okay, like maybe we need to learn, like drifters or, or people in our motorsport need to learn more about these other motorsports to understand what else we can do to get more out of the cars. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much advancement in those forms of motorsports and the that's part of the reason why it's so expensive and why it's hard to get into yeah. it especially in the asphalt side um first of all when you go to either one of those at like the high level even at the the local i call it the high level but it's the local short tracks but the big events every one of those pits has a rig like rtr or Papadoc. It's like every yeah. single one of them has like a half million dollar a million dollar rig um these are not small operations like a bunch of rednecks in the woods you know no. making meth these are like <laughs> really legit yeah. people and really legit teams and the interesting thing is it's the trickle down effect from nascar so you have the people that work in nascar and then like their kids or themselves are running either late model stock cars or super late models on dirt or super late models on asphalt. So they take all that knowledge that they got from working at Chip Ganassi or Dale Earnhardt or Hendrick or whatever, and they implement it on their, you know, personal programs. And then when they bring these kids in that are 12 and 15 years old, you know, they have, they have like a rent a ride kind of situation. It's completely transformed in the last 10 years, the amount of money that it takes to be competitive at those levels. What's interesting too, is like, they also have a very similar ratio to like sponsor money to personal investment. Like if you, if you really look at like a lot of those, those drivers in that series, and especially like in FD, a lot of them are small business owners who are essentially utilizing the money. I mean, I don't want to like give any tax advice, especially here, but they're, (laughs) when you are sponsoring, that is an advertising asset and, and you can utilize that in different views. Please speak to a financial advisor, but you can utilize that in ways of, of write-offs because you're advertising your program. And a lot of people that I found, especially diving into like your background and like looking at drivers that you're racing against is like, they're people who own large construction companies that are racing and it's a write-off and like, you know, their sponsors are concrete suppliers and aggregate pits and like 
So yeah. as much as it is sponsors, it's a, it's a lot of like business to business and that's what it's being used as. And it was like, same thing. Like I was like, oh shit, like drifting really needs to learn from that. Like you, you need, we need to be looking at these B2B operations and go, okay, this is how we could potentially bring in more sponsors, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, just because they're doing it for themselves and it's very much a real thing where, you yeah. know, they own a concrete company and they own a separate LLC that's a race team and that concrete company sponsors that race team. Yeah. Um, you know, good for them that they can use that as a tax write-off. But guess what? There's a hundred other concrete companies out there that could utilize that in a similar way. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, look at, I mean, I, I always compare it to F1, but like you see Salesforce, which is like, if, if you don't know, it's like one of the biggest CRMs, like customer uh, management systems <clears throat> in the world. They're a massive sponsor. And that's because now they get, you know, box seats and booth seats for their, you know, distributors and salespeople to bring clients to. Like that's such a massive opportunity that like I would love to see, you know, in drifting where it's like, yeah, go, go B2B. That's, that's where the real money is. Like, Business to business sales are are wild. Like you know, it, I don't know. It's it's just I, I for me. I'm always trying to like look at like okay, what's another series doing? How are they making money? And why aren't we doing that with what we're doing now? Yeah, it's a hard thing, but it's definitely something that we all re- need to recognize as we continue to climb the ladder. Like, um, you know, I say on one side, you know, I'm sponsored by Comp Cams and Edelbrock, and I'm extremely grateful for that relationship. Yeah. But if everybody goes after just automotive related sponsors like to some degree they don't have to sponsor people because we all know who they are and we're all going to kind of buy from them anyway it's just a matter of which brand we pick but we've got to get outside just the automotive sponsors um you know and i know we've done that as a sport with energy drinks and things like that and i've been fortunate to bring in a, you know a new company in wild willies with you know their beard care products and they're trying to expand into other things but we've all got to kind of go after those non-automotive related sponsors because that not only is it good for the sport but it's also where they have the money to spend yeah yeah they've it's not as saturated you look at you know something like pri and like every almost everybody in that building is looking for a sponsorship from one of these companies or some sort of business deal like it, it can only sustain so much um and and you get people you know like crabs in a bucket like just trying to pull each other down you know offering the lowest price to get the deal done and it doesn't it doesn't benefit everybody in the end. It benefits the one guy that gets the deal. So, yeah, yeah, more B two B stuff would would definitely be would definitely be worth it. But yeah, we'll get there. I mean, talks like this also help that, right? Like it opens the eyes to a lot of people. Who are like, oh, I didn't think of that, right? Like, cool. That go if you work for a company and there's somebody supplying your company with anything, go talk to them about a sponsorship. Like, why not? Yeah, it's completely a worthwhile conversation because they probably don't have, you know, 10,000 people walking up to them asking for that same sponsorship that you're asking for that do the same thing that you do. You know, if they are getting sponsored, you know, hit up for sponsorship, at least maybe the people that are hitting them up don't do professional drifting or don't even don't do grassroots drifting. And what you present is something new and different and fresh. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, local soccer teams and stuff like that is, is what they're getting, you know, $500 here or there. Like, I don't know, as long as you position it correctly and know what you're talking about, like, you know, for, for, I mean, the concrete, I, I worked in concrete for a long time. So like, you know, $10,000 to a concrete company, like that's, that's really not a lot of money. Like that's, that's a, a couple loads of aggregate, right? Like that's waste product over the period of a month and a half. So like $10,000 to a drift program is a good chunk of change. I mean, no matter what level you're at, that's, 
that's a, a, I mean, that's a notable amount of money. So yeah, I, I think, I think there's something there. Well, all right, we'll, we'll figure something out. I, I would love to see just like more, like more food companies and stuff like that, where there's like a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, companies, whether it's fast food or something like DoorDash or whatever, you know, they're in NASCAR yeah. and, you know, why not be in FD also? I think, it, I think you, you've got to, you've got to work on the, the Briars ice cream one and just get you like a truckload of mint chocolate chip and you'll be set and, and that'll be it. We'll do a mint chocolate chip car and be perfect. Yeah, that's definitely my jam. I would, uh, they could probably just pay me in mint chocolate chip ice cream and (laughs) I'd just, you know, go broke driving the program into the ground, but I'd be set in ice cream. (laughs) We'd have to change your tire width just because like your weight would increase over the year. Yeah. Like, yeah, you started the season on 295s. (laughs) End up on 315s. I just work a deal out with Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, you're going to have to weigh me every, bring the scale out. Like, (laughs) it's fair. Oh, yeah. I think it's fair. I mean, as long as it stays within the weight limit, it's all right, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, oh man. So, so what? How is it received? I guess when you like with either within your family or your friends or the community when you decided to give up Legends Car Racing and, and go into drifting. Um, everyone was pretty, I guess, surprised at first, but you know, then when I explained the reasons why, you know, everybody kind of gets it, and and yeah. my re- my simple reason is. Twofold. One, I had just done it my whole life up until that point, and I was just a little bit burnt out. And two, there was just no, there was just no path anymore. Um, you know, to the top. You know, everybody, when you grow up doing Mandaleros and Legends and Roadsters, and you know, I did some Modifieds and late model stuff early on. But everybody on that path wants to be the next Dylan Hart Jr. or Jeff Gordon or whatever. They want to go to NASCAR, but the reality is, there's thousands of these people all over the country, and you know, the best 40 guys get to do it on Sunday. And it's really, I say, probably the only sport in professional sports that the best 40 guys don't get to do it on Sunday. It's the people that, you know, are able to pave their way in the right way. And some people get their own talent, and I commend those people tremendously, you know, the people like Kyle Larson and and folks like that. But a lot of them now um, either get their own name or money, Um, and it's not their fault. You know, you can't blame them for that you know i would utilize that in every way i could if i had that as well so you know it's 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 just a thing and it's the reality of kind of how that's shifting and it sucks but it's the harsh reality that i came to that you know i was just kind of stuck in what i was going to do so i needed something fresh and a new kind of goal to shoot for and i never thought that i'd be in fd and sitting here talking to you when i made that decision um <laughs> yeah but, you know i i have told the story a couple times on ben wakey and some other places but like i'm the accidental pro like i just sort of did the forrest gump thing where i'm like i've you know just keep running you might as well keep running um you know i started with pro-am and did that for a season and stumbled my way into a third place, which got me into a pro two license at the time. And like, well, hell, you know, I got a pro two license. Might as well go check it out and see what it's all about. I'm all about competition. That's sort of what I live for. So you go run in pro two. I got ninth my first year and then, you know, got enough to get my pro license the next year. And again, it's like, well, hell again, we made it this far. Might as well go try and pro and you know, I'm here now, whatever it is, six or seven years later, still fighting the good fight. Yeah. 
It's, I mean, it's crazy. Like when you think about it, uh, the, the time flies for sure. Cause like, I do, I do remember you coming up. Um, I, I honestly, like as terrible as it sounds, I remember the car coming up through pro two like that. And like marketing wise, like congrats. That was such a, a good move. Uh, I'm sure mechanically you were pounding your head into the wall going like, can someone please just make parts of this damn Cadillac? Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think it was interesting that you have gone through that long. You're, you're still here. You're still making a run for it, still making a push for it. And I mean, your, your seasons have kind of ebbed and flowed like most, but you, there's been no signs of giving up at all. Like, how do you, how do you keep that going? Like, what is it? Is it just day by day that you figure it out? Or is it just like, cool, this is what I'm doing and I'll keep going until, you know, I, I'm the best at it. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's it's all competition-based to me at the end of the day. I don't do this. Um, you know, it's probably a bigger conversation here, but I don't I do not do this um, just for the fun of it. You know, I'm, I'm not here just to say I'm in pro. I'll, I'm here because I want to win, and, and I still believe that drifting is maybe the one professional motorsport that someone like me can go win, um, even even – if I'm at a lower budget or a privateer or whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. I still have a high level of confidence that when I lo- line up against, you know, Osbo, I, I can beat that guy. Um, and there's so much more that the driver controls in drifting than in other forms of motorsports, whether it's oval track or road racing or whatever. Your your funding is going to only get you so far with drifting. Um, when When two people line up there, as long as both cars work right, anything can happen once you leave the start line, and it oftentimes does. That's a, that's a solid point. Yeah, I mean, because we've seen it. We've seen it time and time again. Like, somebody with a massive budget comes in, doesn't do well, or vice versa. We, you know, we see guys who have almost no funding come in and start crushing, and you're like, what is going on? Like, yeah, as long as the car is operating. I think that's, I think the difference comes down to practice, which now really with the affordability of sim, like sim's not perfect by any means. And I don't think it's a full replacement for actual seat time, but man, it gets you really far. Um, and then the, the only other part that money helps with is just making sure the car is always in top tier shape. But yeah, yeah. I completely agree with the sim thing. I'm just now starting to dabble in it. My buddy and crew, you know, one of my crew guys, Jace, who lives up in Seattle, um, sort of turned me on to it. And when I went up there and just saw him working in the in his little sim room while we were working on the car, I'm like, man, it, this is really like the way the attitude of the sim is flowing and everything. It really is transferable. And then I saw him, you know, what he was doing, and then he went out on that track that he was practicing on that he had never been to and won the event the next weekend that he was practicing for, and you know, got his pro spec license. So pumped for him on that. But I really haven't gotten too much into it recent. I mean, with the drifting side yet, but I. I got one to start trying to practice when I got the late model and mm. I was surprised at how much it transferred there. I'm like, all right, I need to get a handbrake and figure this <laughs> thing out so I can get some, you know, valuable reps. I mean, it's, it pales in comparison to the dollars that you have to spend to go out on track to do it. And even running Drift University, like the guys that come in that tell me they've worked on the sim almost always just take to it quickly. It, it really... It's not perfect, like you said, but it is definitely something that gives you a big leg up. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's as close as you're going to get. Like, that's, I mean, that's it. Like, I do think there's some, 
I would argue, and this I'm sure will be controversial, that sim drift. Yeah, right. I'm saying something that people are going to get upset about. Um, that sim drifting. I'm used to it. Does <laughs> that sim drifting does a better job teaching you than potentially going in and just driving like a low power, not set up car. Like if you're if you're at the pro level, you know we talk about party cars and practice cars. I would I would almost argue that the sim's going to do a better job of of you running that track than you trying to do the same thing in a car in real life that's 300 horsepower, 400 horsepower down than your pro car. Yeah, I don't have enough reps in the sim to make a uh, educated argument on that one way or another, but I'm looking forward to being able to. I do, <laughs> I do think that that's something that's that's real. Um, I can tell you, you know, from my time with the school cars, it's helpful, but it is it doesn't transfer one-to-one to, you know, competing in FD. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've... Honestly, like this year opened uh, just doing the the ride along with Travis, and then um, I rode with with Simon at Laguna. Like that completely transferred my mind into what it what it's actually like in those cars. Like I I had a, I had a good thought. Like oh, I've driven you know a couple of higher horsepower cars. I've ridden in some six hundred horsepower cars. It, it's not even the horsepower. It's it's just the grip. Like that's that's the part that you can't wrap your head around. The fact that like you are slammed into your seat, you are accelerating almost the entire time. Like, it's wild. I wish the audience could get a, a real sense of what that's like because you can you can see it, but until you you know have your ass in the seat and understand what it's like, it, it's hard to do it justice um, when you're not in the seat and understand it. Yeah. But it's, they're so fast. They're so fast. <laughs> I think that, and just speaking of like fast, how fast everything happens. Like, I couldn't, in the, in the, I did, I did two runs with Travis and I still, we were coming back on the, on the first run. This is in Utah. And I'm like, I still haven't processed what just happened. Like, and maybe cause I wasn't driving and I wasn't paying as much attention, but like, I, I couldn't recall what had just happened. So I'm like, you guys are just a hundred percent reflex. Like you can't think. It's so crazy. And it's so wild and so fast in the lead. And then it is just out of your mind in the chase when you <laughs> do all the same stuff, but you can't see anything. And uh, I mean, it is truly that. And, you know, if you rode in the chase, you understand that now too. Like so much of it is just a little bit of muscle memory and a lot of guessing and hoping for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, it is, it is. It's just, it, it's just guessing. Like you have to think about where it's going to happen. And, and when we were in the chase, just like Travis had missed time something because he was chasing Dylan. And like those two guys drive all the time together, very similar cars, you know, like realistically it should be very close between the two. And it was just a weird timing thing. And it translated to like five feet in between the cars. And it was the difference between, you know, one foot of transition, yeah. like just transitioning a foot too early. And that was it. And some of that guessing is is guessing that the person in front of you is going to do what they're supposed to do at the time they're supposed to do it too. And if if they're early or they're late, it's going to massively impact what happens with your run. If you're even if you're transitioning when in theory you should be. Yeah, I I can't I can't comprehend how frustrating that must be for you guys though. Like either between people, you know, commenting, judges, just just like just to try and and like get them to con like to understand like i i it, it gave me so much more respect and like i said it changed my perspective forever um but but yeah what's that like like any criticism or critique and you're like listen just stop talking like you have no idea 
Um, it could be frustrating. Um, and it is frustrating. My, my wife probably gets more frustrated about it than I do um, <laughs> in the spotter thing because she's hearing it real time. And, you know, um, it's it's a thing. And it's frustrating to me when I go back and, you know, sometimes either watch qualifying or read the comments. And I try to stay out of the comment section because yeah. it's just a toxic place in general, whether, um, you know, on any form of live sports, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not unique to us. You can get in the, yeah. the, the comments of a Florida state football game and it's still pretty, uh, just angry. It gets rough. It yeah. gets rough, but, um, yeah, it can be frustrating, but at the same time, you've got to listen to what they're saying and, you know, own the mistakes on the run. You know, I, I sometimes get guilty of um, getting a little bit in the like, why are they nitpicking on this one thing? Or I thought my score should have been higher for in this certain area, but you got to own what your part in that is. And if you give them a, a area that they have to knock you off or, you know, that's their job to, to deduct points there. And sometimes it's going to be more than what you think it should be. Um, so, you know, the thing you, you got to do is don't screw up there. Yeah. Yeah. It It's, I mean, and it, it's been interesting too, obviously chatting with the judges and I've, I've spent a, a fair chunk of time sitting with them and, and trying to understand better. And they all say the same thing. They're like, we are asking you to do the impossible. Like we know, we a hundred percent know what we're asking you to do is damn near impossible. But at the end of the day, you are the best, you know, 32, 36, 40, whatever drivers you, that's your goal to try and do it. So, um, I, I the, the ego check that like, like you said that you kind of have to put yourself into where it's like, yeah, you're going to get mad. You're going to be pissed off that you didn't do what you have to do, or, you know, you thought you did better, but then taking that minute and going like, okay, you know, they, they said this for a reason and this is where I have to improve. Like, I think that's, the difference between people who have the longevity in the sport and do well and the people who get frustrated and, and just leave. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing to get through and to accept. Um, you know, nobody likes to be told that you screwed up or you didn't do well. Um, we all yeah. love to be, you know, celebrated and praised that, you know, a run was sick or whatever, but sometimes you think it's sick and it's not as sick when you go back and watch it, you're not as close to the wall as you thought you were you know, you had a bobble when you didn't think you did or whatever, but you just gotta, you gotta own that and you gotta fix it because if you just sit and burr and disagree yeah. with them, um, you know, me disagreeing with them is not going to help my score. So yeah, you know, give them what they want, try to do your best and give them what they want the next time. And that's, it's an interesting thing too. You know, my wife is pretty diligent about, um, going to, sit with them during spotters help. And I hear in the spot in the driver's meeting a lot of times, and I've never been up there obviously during practice for spotters help, but they say all the time that there's rarely anybody that comes and utilizes that time. And I can't for the life of me figure out why that is because, you know, why wouldn't you want to get a snapshot of how you're doing and some of the critiquing in practice instead of live and qualifying yeah, I think maybe that's a an ego thing even within the spotters that they don't, you know, similar to the drivers, they don't want to be told that what they're thinking is is incorrect. Like, I, I, and this isn't, I mean, I'm not calling out any of the spotters. I think that is, you know, besides driving, that is the hardest job within, I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, mechanics don't have a great job either, but it's 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 not easy because especially obviously with your relationship, having your wife do it, like, 
she's got to be harsh sometimes. And I've, I've heard her call you on the radio and she's very straightforward with, with what she's telling you. Um, yeah, yeah, she can yeah. be <laughs> mean and hurt my feelings sometimes. Um, and I think, she, <laughs> I think she relishes that a little bit sometimes too, but well, you know, you need somebody up there that can be honest with you. Um, yeah. I, I need that for sure. You know, somebody that can, that can tell me I've done wrong when I've done wrong. Um, and she'll tell me when I've done good too. So it does, um, you it, no favors, right. To, to blow smoke. Right. Yeah, and we've all got to check our egos, whether we're spotters or drivers, because what we think is good does not really matter at the end of the day. It's what they think is good. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of like the biggest things just young drivers getting into the sport need to do is just check your ego that like no matter how good you think you are or were in the series you came from, like understand that once you move up, you're with everybody that was the best in the series they came from. And whatever you did before, it doesn't mean shit the moment you move into the next level. Like, sorry, I don't like, cause I, I've, I've heard it. I've, I obviously like I chat with a lot of people, people like, oh, I'm doing so well here. Like, you know, or, or people have even said like, oh, I did so well in this series. I'm like, that's great. That doesn't mean anything here. Like means nothing. New judges, new tracks, new everything. Like you need to forget all of that. Most of the people have never even watched the proverbial you you know, do whatever it is you did in that series either. You know, yeah. a lot of us, like I said earlier, a lot of people are like me in the sense of when you're outside of FD, you got other shit going on and you don't have time to watch every other drifting series, even if it's awesome. You know, it, yeah. you know I saw Connor Shanahan's names on the list of, you know, coming into FD, very prominent driver over there. None of us have watched all of his stuff. At least I haven't. No. Um, you know, I've, I know enough to know that he's going to be, you know, forced to be reckoned with if he's able to put it all together and come over here and he's good. But just because you're good under one set of rules and one set of judges doesn't mean you're able to adapt all of that to come over at a completely different, you know, mindset. You're going to have to, and, and not that I don't think you will, but, yeah. uh, you know, people like James have proved that the success is possible, but it is a different series and it's a different set of tracks and it's a different set of judging and it's going to take a different skill set to be good over here. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought it up because this is like the first conversation I've had um since that's been announced. And like it's I think I just think that whole the the driver's thing and, and like clarify as well, like Connor basically came out and said, Hey, this just means that I've been approved. Yep. This doesn't mean that I'm running, which which also harkens back to our previous conversation of like it takes a lot of money to come and do this, especially if you're coming from another country and you don't have the infrastructure here. Like I can't it's not even it's fathom. not like yeah putting a program to go over there and do it. And, yeah, you know, and I have a lot of friends over there that would probably be willing to help me. And I still can't just even begin to think the, the trouble that that would cause of just going back and forth and getting your car from A to B. Like the people that are able to pull that off, just, you know, tip the cap to you. Well, the, like the friend network, right? Like that's the thing, like between rounds, you know, I bet you between every single round, if you had an issue, there is a garage that you're aware of that you could pull into, ha rebuild half the car and be ready for the next round. You go to a different country, that network becomes very small, very quick. <laughs> it, yeah, it's interesting. I was, um, I was in England over Thanksgiving break. We always take a, uh, you know, a little bit of a family trip over Thanksgiving because that's when I have the most days off work consecutively. But um, it's kind of funny because when you mention that between the drifting community, the oval track community, and then the cannonball community that I have, like everywhere I've ever been in the world, 
Um, and there's a lot of places that haven't been like Africa and stuff like that. But everywhere I've been so far, I've never been, I don't think more than like three or four hours from somebody I know that would come help me if, you know, the shit hit the fan. So that part's been yeah. really cool with getting a really good network of people um, that are just good human beings in this, in this sport. Yeah, it is. It is cool. The, the community that, you know, just is racing or just, you know, cars or automotive in general. And like that inherent knowledge that, you know, you, there's something that you can share, right? Like, I mean, I, we've all had it. I, I would assume everybody listening or watching is, is some sort of car fan. Like you see a nice car in a driveway you could basically just walk up, knock on the door and be like, hey, can we talk about your car for three hours? And that person would probably say yes. Like, <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fraternity almost. Like you just, you just know that you can, you have something in common with that person. It just happens to be cars. Yeah, absolutely. It's in <sighs> general, the car community is full of amazing people. It's the outliers that aren't, but you know, we don't talk. Yeah. About that, that comes, that comes with everything. And those people usually get weeded out pretty quick too, right? Like, they, I mean, we all know of like that one asshole in the, the local car club and usually they're around for a couple of years and then they go away because yep. just people stop talking to them. So, or they, you know, start their own car club that nobody goes to. Yeah. <laughs> that, that also happens. Um, so get, kind of getting into the drifting university stuff. What was your, what was your thought process behind that? Like why with everything else going on, why take on that one more thing? So it's a couple things. Um, the the biggest thing outside of, you know, I'm trying to fund this program and I needed another outlet to make some dollars, um, which is yeah. a real thing. Um, I felt like this was something I would have benefited from, even with my background in motorsports, tremendously had I had this available to me when I first started drifting. Um, just to skip some of the bad habits, to have somebody with some experience tell me, hey, you're doing that wrong. Hey, this is wrong on your car. This is the type of car you need to go buy. Here's three cars you can try to see which one you like better. Um, it's just something that would have been a huge help to me. And I, I have to believe if it would have been a help to me, it'd be help to somebody else. And um, it, it's a cool thing. I mean, I have people with all different types of experience come in and do it. And nobody has left upset or frustrated or anything like that. It's It, it can only be so bad coming in and yeah. beating on other people's cars for a full day and then just tossing them the keys and leaving at the end. That's a good point. Yeah. I've never really, I mean, I've, I've taken out a few friends' cars and stuff like that, but I don't think I've ever done like a full day in someone else's car and then just been like, okay, your problem now. Yeah. It's 100% <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, I can see how that would be quite fun. I mean, especially, you know, if you've never done it or, or like you said, you just come from the sim and, and that's it. Like that, that would be a very life-altering experience to actually be able to put it on onto pavement at that point. Yeah, we have a different model than what a lot of people do when when they have these, um, you know, like beginner days or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that model, but ours is just different. We have typically two instructors, sometimes three, and we take usually only five or six students in a day. So you're going to get a ton of seat time. You're going to be there typically, you know, eight or nine hours on track with five or six cars. I mean, you, you're bound to get good in the matter of eight hours of full track time. And the pretty much the only time you're down is when you're, you know, coming in to either eat lunch or change tires or, you know, if the car starts to get warm or whatever, it's mm -hmm. all day of driving. 
Yeah, that uh, that sounds pretty fantastic. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. And I and I got kind of I got the idea because I did some instructing for Porsche. There's you know a place right down um, the Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta, and I had done that, um, and it was fun. But you ride right seat the entire time, and that and um, it's it's one of those things that sounds cooler than it actually is as a job. Um, <laughs> I had never been motion sick before ever in my life. And my very first day there, I, I like puked at the end of the day. And somebody's like, you didn't take any Dramamine, did you? I'm like, man, I've never been motion sick a day in my life. Like, well, you've, if you're ridden a right seat in a car with people that don't really know how to drive all that well all day in your life, I'm like, no, I have not. So I never did that again without Dramamine. But this is a kind of a different thing of riding and being outside coaching because you see different things from two different perspectives. Mm. Are you just doing it like via radio and in like headsets or anything like that? Or like go out, do a lap, come back and kind of give them a heads up and then come back out? Yeah. Typically it's go out, do a lap, come back and we'll debrief. Okay. Hmm. That's good. And that's, that's more or less all, all skill levels, um, for, for that set. Yeah. It's my intention was to have all skill levels and that's still the case, but most of the time it's, either beginners or what I would call an intermediate. Um, somebody okay. that's got a few track days, but wants to get better. And then once or twice a year, we do a battle class, which is my favorite thing to do with Drift University. Um, just cause you know, competition is where my heart is. And basically we just line up and we'll have like 12 to 20 cars come out and just do mock battles. We'll do a lead, come around, do a chase and, I'll give you, you know, a sticker for the winner and everybody's mm. going to get to do 15 or 20 battles in that one single day, which is more than what you'll probably do. Even if you do a pretty good pro-am season that you'll get more in that one day than you do in the whole season running pro-am. That's a good point. I feel like we definitely coach a lot of single run stuff, but like, obviously the, the tandem part is something that uh, kind of takes a backseat when it comes to instruction when it really shouldn't. But I mean, I guess you've got to learn how to do a quality lead run well, but like most of the time the lead run is going to win you a, a battle but like rather than the chase. Yeah, all the way up until you get to pro spec and sometimes even in pro spec, it's going to be the, the guy or girl that goes out and makes two clean runs and doesn't spin out or zero is going to win yeah. that battle like more times than not. Yeah, yeah, the consistency is is obviously the biggest thing, but you, I mean, you still need to, I think just understanding like what to even do in the chase, like where to look, where to point the car, how to understand when they're going to spin so you can more or less get out of the way. Yeah, not crash both of your cars. Yeah, yeah, that that like that type of instruction, I think for anybody that's that's gone out even a couple of days, as you said, like that's worth it alone just to understand how to save a car. Because like that's it's just not something that you really learn until it's the worst case scenario. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Like I say, it's an absolute riot. It's so much fun to to get in and let people do that and watch the light bulb come on of like, oh, I thought I was yeah. close, and you know, I'm three car lengths away. That's you know, it's still something I struggle with even in FD. It's you know, I'll key up tomorrow after you know what I think is a good chase run in practice and Mike, that looked really good. That was close, huh? And she's like, it was all right. You were like <laughs> you were a car length back. You need to be closer. I'm like, damn, tough on me. All right. But, all right. Yeah. That's all right. good. That's Fair. what that's yeah. what I needed. <laughs> so what obviously like you've had you had a pretty standout year in, in 2020. Like I would I would argue that was your best year. It was for sure. Um 
Yeah, points wise, I mean, you was like fifth or something in, in Irwindale as well. Like your Irwindale event was really good. What what's that? What do you take from those seasons to try and like move forward, or you know, how do you take that information to try and you know repeat or improve? Um, we try and dissect that a little bit each year, and you know, it's not a say this in in general along to go that goes along with that season. Nobody gets here by accident. Um, everyone on the grid and pro is good enough to be here. Nobody bought their way here. Everybody is good. And it's not an accident that they're, they're here. So, um, I say, say the same thing with, you know, a, a quality result in 2020. It didn't just happen. Um, you know, we, mm-hmm. we did what we needed to do that year to, to get those results. So just trying to get back there. I mean, that was our year when we had the least amount of mechanical failures, not just in competition, but also in practice. You know, and and when you break in practice and you only get 12 laps, there's not time added on for the people that, you know, didn't have a good practice for whatever reason. They broke an axle or they broke a suspension piece or whatever. You just get less laps because nobody's getting out of line. So just building back up to that point of um, having that practice. I think the other thing I did that year is I drove outside of FD more than I ever did in 2020. Um, yeah, it's like so, a lot of clutch kickers too. Yeah, yeah, it was that was my best year in general by far. I won the clutch kickers championship that year, and you know finished top ten in FD and had several top ten individual rounds. And I just need to understand that that was true um, and get back to driving more, which is you know why I'm kind of putting all the other stuff to the side a little bit this year and trying to just focus on drifting and you know the other stuff I'll, I'll kind of get back to if I, if, and when I retire from FD, um, you know, I'll, I'll maybe pick some of that stuff up if I still feel passionate about it, but I'm putting a second car together, um, and trying to just focus on getting better at drifting and staying behind the wheel and staying in the seat. Um, I, I think it's, it can't be overstated how important staying in the seat is and, and hopefully doing some sim drifting as well. Nice. Is that would that be another Corvette? I assume. Uh, maybe. So I've got okay. a, I've got <laughs> another Corvette. Um, I also am trying to move and shake some things around. I I may have an opportunity to get the Cadillac back. Um, and I sold that car to build the vet, and I'm in a little bit of a different space, and got to kind of weigh some things <laughs> out. But that I really like. I. I it's funny. I all the time I get um, fans come up at the events. They're like, "Why'd you switch from the Cadillac?" What'd, we really love that car. It was unique and different and cool. And all those things are the case. And I'm like, "Man, where were y'all when uh, when I was running the Cadillac?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe they they were there. They just didn't say how much they enjoyed the car. But I love that car, and that's kind of for me still kind of what I identify my rise through FD with. And, you know, someday, someday when I'm done with all this, I kind of would like to have that car in my garage, um, to still be able to look back on. Not that the vet isn't good or, or better because I do think that's true or I wouldn't have built the car. It's just a little bit more competitive chassis. Um, but I, I really still love that car and I think it'd be an awesome car to be able to go and do clutch kickers type events, even though clutch kickers isn't around anymore. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I mean, it is, it is sick, and there's there's always something to be said about driving something that's unique, right? Like, we've seen so many people, like, that's that's the trade-off, right? You get more attention in a vehicle that's unique, but most of the time, it's it's far less competitive. 
Yeah, I fought, um, I say fought, I've been picking at Kevin <laughs> Wells um, for the last like four months to get him to let me take all the body panels off the Corvette. And I wanted so desperately to put like a 88 Monte Carlo NASCAR style stock car body on the Corvette. Um, the wheelbase and everything works. And he, he hasn't let me so far. So maybe we can use this platform to all knock on Kevin huh. Wells' door and let me do it. I can still make the doors work and everything. And I just think it'd be a really unique thing to see out on the racetrack. I wonder what I'm like, like flipping through the pages of the rule book in my mind. And like, there, there is a lot in there that talks about remaining like OEM look. So I'm, I'm assuming that's the case. That's the one rule that, you know, I can't really like work my way past is it, it needs to maintain OEM look and feel, but I've got an argument like, you know, James, uh, not James, Dean Carney's Vipers kind of morphed and, Sorensen's yeah. BMW isn't what it was, you know, as boss, a, as a stock boss kit vehicle. S chassis. Yeah, look at the boss kit. That does not look anything like a stock S13. The hard part is the roof line um, for like old Monte Carlo versus a vet. I would have, oh, yeah. I would have to change the windshield and stuff because um, one of my, one of the guys, one of the marketing guys at comp did me like a render of what the vet would look like if you didn't change the roof line and just put the Monte Carlo bottom on it. And it looks like, <laughs> some sort of meth-fueled madness. It's just terrible. <laughs> ah, man. Yeah, that's tough. I I mean, I would... I feel like the workaround would be some sort of body kit and, like, you would have to find... Because there's no regulation as to, like, what body kit you can run. And if the boss kits are allowed, you know, then... And then, as you said as well, the Sorensen's, you know, running... Would, um, it's like an E92 or whatever it is on an E46. Yeah, but, but they're, yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, you know, or I mean, look at Audi, right? Those are, those are not S15s. So there's a little bit of a gray area um, that I'm that I'm trying to work to my advantage to uh, to get to do something like that. I I just love seeing unique, <laughs> unique stuff out there, which is why I did the Cadillac to begin with. I just like yeah. Nobody likes seeing the same car out there every time. That's what makes drifting drifting and not you know nascar or something like that there's a ton of different cars out there and i think the fans like seeing different stuff too yeah i agree i i'm i'm right there with you as, as somebody who has always driven unique chassis not and none of them competitive um yeah i think more you know i i was driving a, an 88 thunderbird turbo coupe for the longest time awesome car. and like yeah it was a great car and like even compared to a fox body which it's it's essentially the same car, like realistically strut tower to strut tower. It is the same car. You know, more people come over and ask what the hell I was driving as opposed to the guys that with the Fox bodies. I'm like, it's it's one of those with like six feet added to either side. Like, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's the yeah. only difference. And the Fox bodies are even still pretty unique. But then when you yeah. do something like that, it's way more unique. You're going to be the only guy out there with that. 100%. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, you know, when it comes to the business side of, of drifting in particular, like a lot of the times you can sell a sponsor on a car that's less competitive, but is going to draw more fans. That was kind of our mindset with the Cadillac. That was, you know, something that made us different than everybody else. When we, you know, put a deck together and sent it to a sponsor, it's, you know, yeah, who's this guy running the Cadillac? You know, I, I don't know who that is, but I know the car looks pretty cool. We'll, we'll, you know, maybe take a second look at that and not just toss it in the been like all the rest of the proposals that seem to happen. Yeah, I think I think just in general being unique and in 
pretty much anything you're doing, you know, within motorsports or, or, or anything, but drifting in particular, like even, even just like the content, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to you doing uh, T-Rex versus Harambe version two. <laughs> I, I'm, I, you let me know when that's ready to go. Cause I, I want to be there for the screening. Yeah. That's not, we'll just put you in one of the suits and get you in the, in the uh, T-Bird and we'll, we'll chase you around. <laughs> I'll have to build another one. I mean, my my last one, the the subframe rotted out. So I literally loaded it on the trailer after the end of the season and like the whole subframe tore off. And I'm like, well, I guess the end of that car. <laughs> like <laughs> that was a that was a fun thing. You know, we've we've tried yeah. to have a good time with some of the, the video stuff that we've done in the past, whether it's T-Rex or or Hulls of Hazard or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, even even the Stonewall build, like just doing something that's different like just to draw eyes right yeah 100 percent. and and that that's my most successful youtube video we've ever done and we just you know got a bunch of friends together and put water in moonshine jars and drove around and had a you know another police car that we bought from an auction and chased each other and filmed it it was a great time yeah and at the end of the day i think i think just you having fun in those videos like you could it was contagious how like happy everybody was in that video like as much as people are trying to act serious, like you could, you can see the grins coming out because it's like this is cool. This is everything we wanted to do, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're having fun, everybody else is having fun, or yeah. or they're Scrooge. You know, it's yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and that exactly. you know, going back to you know, watch that show is what got me into cars in general. You know, I was mm. five years old watching Dukes of Hazard reruns on TNN at the time, and you know, <laughs> yes, just, TNN, yeah, watching you know General Lee fly through the air. I'm like, I want to do that. You know, that's yeah, that's what my future is, and you know, I've pretty much ruined my life trying to chase it ever since. You've you've kind of just like lived so much of the Southern dream too, like even just like the smoking the bandit run. Yep. Which which you held that record for I mean for a minute. I yep. mean yeah, that was like sixteen hours and I think the guy that beat it was smashed it. It was like down to fourteen and something, but yeah, it's progressively still. gotten down and down every year. But um yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to recreate smoking in the band? That's that's kind of just how I approach stuff. Like, you know, it, whether it's Drift University or the Southern Classic run that I did, it's like if I have a want to do this, there's got to be other people out there that want to do whatever this is too. So let's try and make it available to them. Just like I want it made available to me and I'll, I'll pilot it for them and do a proof of concept yeah. and then we'll invite people out the next time. And that's kind of how I've approached a lot of things like that. Well, I think it, I think the moment you have to force it or work for it, like it, it shows in the, not maybe not the effort, but like how those things come across. So like so many people, you know, feel like, oh, I have to do this or I have to do a YouTube series or something. It's like sometimes it's better if you don't, if it's just going to come off as forced and shitty. Like yeah. you can you can tell when people are just are doing it because they have to do it. Yeah, 100%. Just, just have fun, right? Like, yeah, just just have fun because you can you can tell the enjoyment in, in the content or whatever it is, the build, right? Like the, the duster is sick, like because you wanted to do it. You enjoy doing it. And like nothing against the the Corvette by any means, but like I feel like it and and I obviously with like some of the livery designs, you've had more fun with it. But maybe you just don't have that same attachment to that because you did it because you know you had to do it, not necessarily because you wanted to do it. It's a hundred percent the case. I like that's why I don't have the same affinity for that car as I do the Cadillac. I wanted to do something different and you know, with Stonewall, it's something completely different you know i built that car with an 
an LS and dog box and wise fab. You know, I put S S 14 front and rear, uh, subframes in the car and took it out and drifted it at grid life. And of all the cars out there, everybody's coming up. I'm like, what the hell is this thing? You know, what's it got under it? Cause it's unique and it's yeah. different and it's something that was a passion project for me. And I love doing stuff like that. And a, a body swath on the vet would make me excited about it. And um, <laughs> that's, that's why I've like just been banging Kevin's door down and sending him picture. I like text him randomly throughout the week when I see a cool, you know, retro NASCAR uh, picture come up or somebody put a stock car together. It's, you know, it's kind of just who I am and, and it's what my background is. And I think it would be a cool way to tie it together. So I'm going to keep, keep uh, fighting the fight and trying to get that to happen. <laughs> Today, we have something kind of neat. I was able to poke and prod Ryan Sage a little bit and get you guys uh, some savings on some cool merch. So use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save yourself 20% on any FD merch. You can, hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever it is. You can't get this sign. That's mine. You're not getting that one. But basically everything else, use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save yourself 20%. Rep some FD shirts, some hats, whatever. And we'll see you out there. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll support you in that. I, as long as you support me in running Utah backwards, um, then I will support you on that. That's the, that has been my one big fight with him. I'm like, dude, just do it. He's like, ah, oh, I don't know. I know there's like a bunch of logistical shit why they can't. Let's but do I'm it. Like, dude, yeah. the track layout would be sick. Like coming at the crowd full speed and initiating at them. Like, is, I don't know. Are, I the, uh, are the rumble strips? I can't remember how those are. I, is that the problem with it? I think it is. I think they're that's like part the of the issue. rumble strip and it's yeah, going to be going the wrong way at it. Destroy the wheels. <laughs> hey, you know, it's one of those things like, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like dipping wheels in Atlanta. Like, don't do it. You just, you're going to get pulled in. It's, I mean, we put walls on racetracks. Tracks like don't that. hit them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, that's your job. You guys are precision drivers. Like, just don't do that thing. Or put walls. If you do, put walls you're going to de-beat it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just put K-Rails up there or something, right? Like, I'm for it. Whatever. You know. Or just fill them in. Let's just put dirt. Let's just pull dirt onto the rumble strips. And that way it won't be as bad. In worst case, you just rake some more dirt onto it. I'm for, I'm for pretty much whatever. I love new and unique changes to whatever it is. If we could change the layout of every track we go to every time to kind of keep it a level playing field. I'm all for that. I, I love having to adapt <laughs> and making everybody um, a little nervous. Like it, it would not bother me at all to show up to the track on Thursday and not reveal what the layout is until the driver's meeting. I mean, that was basically Orlando this year until yeah. they kind of realized there was huge holes in the track and they couldn't do it. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, we had, we had the, the Kenda that was, you know, at that point we hadn't really started to experiment with any of the compounds or anything. So it was like super long lasting tire. And I saw that layout and we were like, here we go. This is our day. Yeah. Dude, that was exactly what I said too. Like as soon as it came out, I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast or where I said, it, but I'm like, look at this is where the Kenda is going to reign supreme. We just had so like, much more life than anybody else. Yeah. I'm like, man, these guys don't stand a <laughs> chance. If we have this layout, we're going to, yeah, you know, we're, the the longevity of that tire um, was incredible, so then didn't, didn't yeah. work out. Wasn't to be. Nah, I mean, I hope they, I hope they swap back to it. I, I mean, they they proved that they could patch the track in almost real time. So like, let's let's mix it up. I'm dude. I'm I I think it needs to be mixed up. I think I a like lot of the it. tracks need to be mixed up. I'm yeah. okay with making it hard. Like you know when we did the first layout in St. Louis, you know, that was really hard on tires, that big monster fast, 
huge Dude, sweeper layup. The it finish was, line. They had to pull the finish line back like 20 feet because guys were just, there was nothing left. It was sparks. Yeah, we were making one lap on tires. But, <laughs> you know, like to some degree, that's where driver skill comes into play. And we have to know that part of our strategy has to be either to gear the car or manage it with the right pedal. You know, we yeah. got to make two laps. It's okay if it's hard for us. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It should be. It should be difficult. Every track should be. Like, I, I, it almost bugs me that teams can, like, pull in so much notes and information from the year previous and be like, cool, like, it's good. Like, don't get me wrong. It's great because practice usually goes much better. Like, the tracks where there's a ton of notes, practice usually goes <laughs> really, really well. The tandems are usually incredible. But it's also like, eh, I don't want it to be easy for you guys. Like, that's I don't I don't want it to be easy for you guys at all. I want it to be hard. I want to go into the pits and hear everyone going like, I don't know what the hell we're gonna do. Like that's my favorite because then, as you said, magical things like ridiculous shit happens in battles. Like anything can happen at that point. You don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, it's it'd be interesting and and we'd figure it out in practice. We always yeah. do. Um, you know, another thing, kind of going back to twenty twenty. Um, my favorite thing about 2020 was that we didn't have qualifying. It was literally just, you know, a version of like draw a name out of a hat and that's kind of who you battled. And I love that aspect of it because it took the pressure off of qualifying and the, and it made a big change, at least in my mindset, because as soon as we dropped the trailer gate, we were working on tandem right then, right yeah. out of the gate. You know, you were, you didn't have to put so much emphasis on running the exact perfect line in it. I really almost feel like it didn't it didn't really take away from the lead runs. Everybody was still doing good lead runs in 2020, but I, I do think that it enhanced the tandem a lot because we were all able to focus on that immediately instead of for the four laps after qualifying that we got and then the next day. Yeah. It I I agree. I do think there is something to qualifying. Um it, and it's usually just like it kind of like enhances some of the underdog stories. Like when you've got like a Nick Novak qualifying first in Irwindale, like it would almost be sad to like miss out on that story. Kazuya Taguchi in St. Louis, like there are those like magical qualifyings where it makes it worth it. But I know what you're saying that like it also would be great if all you had to do is work on on tandem runs. I, I'm okay with qualifying to some degree, but I wish we would just do it in weird ways. Like at Irwindale. <laughs> At Irwindale, like, we should just drag race for qualifying. Okay. I love it. Like, just line up, and we could do a bracket-style drag race for qualifying. And then we impound the cars at the end of the the qualifying so we can't touch them before we go back out and do competition so that you can't set it up purposely to do good at drag racing. And then, like, oh. you know, go somewhere else and do, like, a hard park competition for qualifying. Like, just do something else that's not just making lap after lap after lap for qualifying. Damn, St. Louis, you run a full lap? Yeah, whatever. Like the actual NASCAR circuit? Oh. Yeah, just do Man, one. guys would run out of gearing so quick. Yeah, just do one big turn on, you know, right there in front of the grandstands. That's that's your qualifying. Whatever, you know, if you have some proximity sensors or whatever, whoever's closest to the wall the longest. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, like they did in drift shifters or something. Like something the weird different. sensors and buttons. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, that's that definitely turns it, you know, more spectacle, but I'm 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 here for it. I think I don't know. I'm always so torn about FD where like I I want it to be the most serious, the most like technologically advanced, like the you know, the F1 of drifting for sure. But then there's also, you know, weird things that come up in drifting, different qualifying, different layouts and stuff where I'm like 
damn, that'd be sick. Like, that'd be really cool if we did that there. I, we almost need like a, uh, have, you, have you seen like the Savannah Bananas? Oh, like yeah. That baseball team? Yeah, yeah. It's in Georgia. Or like the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Like, why, why can't we also have that? Like, why can't that be halftime? Or why can't we have a series like that run during, you know, some downtime on the track or something like that. Like, let's... Yeah, Savannah Bananas is, like, it's harder to get tickets for Savannah Bananas than it is to the Braves. Like, it's crazy. Like, I don't know why Georgia has been, like, (laughs) weird for, like, odd teams like that. But um, there's a town called Macon in central Georgia. And and their sports team, they they called it the Macon Whoopie. That's, That's a, a real sports team. That was, I think it was the uh, amateur baseball team down there or something, the making whoopee. That's perfect. I don't know. I mean, I do think there's something in the, all the iron and the dirt or something there that, that gets into your bloodstream. Like it, I definitely think there's something to Georgia. I mean, they say like, keep Austin weird, but I, it, might, it should be Atlanta. <laughs> it definitely should be Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. And down in South Georgia, there's a gnat line somewhere around Macon. Like if you get South of there, like anywhere between Macon and like, Gainesville, Florida, it's just nothing but gnats. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe there's like, I mean, there's that whole, what is it, the Lone Star Tick? I don't know if you've ever heard of this, where like you get bit by the Lone Star Tick and you're allergic to meat, like red meat. I have meat. heard of that. Yeah, it sounds yeah, absolutely yeah. awful. Just take me out back and shoot me. <laughs> but I mean, maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe there's just like some bug that's in Georgia, you get bit by it and, and you go a little crazy. Yeah, happens, I guess. I. I did have a bunch of people ask me to to bring this topic back up, which is, um, did you have cats when you were younger? Are you like, were you a cat person as a kid? No, definitely not. Okay, okay. There's a there's a whole thing behind this, a thing called toxoplasmosis, which like there's a, a huge correlation between people who have toxoplasmosis, which comes from having cats usually when you're younger, and like motorcycle deaths because it, <laughs> it lowers inhibition and like causes people to have. Uh, basically to be scared less and they they often will do more ridiculous shit there's like anyways one day i'll like actually do the math and graph it all out but there's a correlation between people having cats as young children and being like extreme sports athletes we had cats i was always curious we never we never like we had a cat named cat um (laughs) (laughs) that's that's how close the pet was um and it lived outside (laughs) maybe it scratched me at some point or something i don't know yeah i don't know I, i just i've i've it's, a bunch of people have asked me to bring it back up again. So I was like, all right, well, we're, we're here. We're talking about crazy theories. So let's get onto it. Yeah. Um, so where, where do you fall in the, in the tire debate? Like, do we keep pushing tire technology? Do we keep going wider? Do we keep building more extreme stuff? Or do you think it should get capped at some point in time? I'm very much for the cap. Um, yeah. I'm very much for the cap. And, and I think that um, my logic behind that is... Uh, I want to keep it where the privateers um, or the people that came up like me can still feel like they have a chance um, against anybody on grid. And I think that helps that narrative. Mm. I, I, yeah, I think it does. I, I, I do agree with that. I do think that by ta- by capping that out, it will cut down on a team with a massive budget running away with the series. Yeah. I mean, when you get, um, you know, a, a team or a tire with a 315, like you can just put so much extra yeah. stuff in there to get the weight exactly the way that you need it to fully utilize that 315. And you're going to have it. No cars are just naturally that heavy to need a 315. So you're going to be able to 
place the weight exactly how you want it, whether it's with extra batteries or whether it's, you know, triple <laughs> stacking, you know, your bash bars to an unreasonable level. Like the people in here are smart and they're going to understand how to best utilize that weight and they're going to get it where they need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point that it, I mean, the, the, the Nitto meta was a thing for a long time and arguably still is. Although I do think, well, I, I mean, the, the RTRs were running Nittos, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if we want to, I, I'm, I'm not trying to like call it one tire, but I guess, I guess I just did, but like, yeah, that so tire came out. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> so we both did. Um, <laughs> we're both in trouble, Yeah, it's fine. but, but no, I agree. I mean, but we've had these, we've had, you know, tires like this come and go for years. Like this isn't anything new, but yeah, I mean that tire you can do a lot with, you can move a lot around. I haven't seen triple stacking bash bars yet though. That's Maybe that is going on. I just haven't noticed. I'm going to have to look for that in order. It, not necessarily bash bars, but like the rails that go behind the bash bars. You, you can get pretty creative with that stuff that's like right there near the rear axle. Um, ah, there's, okay. there's just ways to utilize it the way you want to. And, you know, you could, there's more stuff beyond the, that. Yeah, oh, for sure. The I mean, I, I think I talked to Kevin about the RV battery situation where guys were running like dual RV batteries, like, super low slung in the back corners to get the weight, you know, real far back. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's, it's maybe something we were going to get to later, but it's, it just kind of goes along with the narrative and, and there's nothing wrong with it, but this is professional top tier in the world drifting and we're all out here to win. And that, and, yes. and that is okay. Um, the, I think, a hard thing for some people to grasp is, uh, and and it's different, maybe in in motorsports especially because there's really not many other places in motorsports where there's like a faction that is competitive and a faction that's all about fun. Um, it, mm. It's usually like all one or all the other, um, and it's very divided and drifting right now, and and it kind of continues to seem to be that way and. I think that they can exist and and not harm the other one. You know, I, I think that's okay, yeah. and and people need to understand that that is okay. It's all right for me to be really passionate about the competition side of drifting, and it's okay for you know all the guys at my local track at Lanier. Not all of them, but a lot of them are just there for Friday night to have a good time and party with the boys. Like, and those two can exist <laughs> mutually and and not step on each other's toes. And I'm not wrong for being in comp- wanting to do competition. And they're not wrong for wanting to just have fun with it. Yeah. I, the, the thing I've always said with this is if it wasn't for high level competition drifting, you wouldn't have the angle kits you have now. You wouldn't have the suspension. You wouldn't have the body kits. You wouldn't have the tires. You wouldn't have the vast majority of things that make grassroots and party drifting so much more enjoyable. Is there a part of, of drifters that, want to just, yeah, like all I want to do is run, you know, cut knuckles and cut springs on like a stock. Like, yeah, there's a whole group of people that do that. But there's also a whole group of people that only run nostalgia cars. There is a whole group of people who only race horses. Like all of those things need to work together to create these other subcultures. And I I'm still firmly believe that if it wasn't for high level drifting, you wouldn't have grassroots drifting as we know it now, because a lot of these racetracks would never allow it. And we would be stuck driving parking lots or whatever. Like there's, there's so many amazing events that get thrown because high level drifting exists and, and you can't get mad at it because it's only helping you. 
Yeah, and it it all you know, rising tide floats all ships kind of thing. Yeah. The the better drifting is for everybody, you know, it it only helps the sport continue to grow. And I just think there's, there's maybe a little less, um, you know, calling out on the other side that, that needs to happen. It it could be a little, little less toxic. I think to some degree, we're all, it's okay for us all to exist and, and we all need to be okay with the other side doing it how they want to do it. Well, and if you don't like it, just don't watch and don't participate. Like, that's it. Like, there there are plenty of things that I don't agree with and don't like. So I just actively stay away from them because I don't want to be upset. Like, that's it. Tons of shit like that that I'm like, yeah, I'm not a fan of this thing, so I don't watch it. That's it. Story over. I don't go and watch it and then complain about it. If we could all do that. (laughs) I know, I know. In general, it would be amazing what we could accomplish. uh, I just, I don't understand, like, how broken of a human you have to be to actively put yourself through a situation that you're not enjoying just to shit on the people who are enjoying it. I've never understood that. I call it rec- like you're I call it recreational <laughs> outrage. I agree. Yeah, that's all it is. And like I don't agree with just like shit posting and trolling, but there like you can usually tell when somebody's doing that, but there are people who are legitimately just mad at competition drifting who still watch it, who still participate in every comment. They're on every message board. They know every driver and they shit all over all of them. But for some reason they're, you know, without the shitting on the, the, the sport part, they're actually the biggest fan because they consume the most amount of the content. Yeah. So like, thanks for supporting. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I just think in general, you know, the the internet can be a toxic place, but like if you took that energy and, and put it into a positive way. Like how, how much more could we elevate the sport? You know, if we turn that around. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, this is a, this is a little bit of a, like a sensitive one. Um, you went through a, a scenario a little while ago, which was like people accusing you of flopping, right? Which is interesting. And like, I, I definitely want to make sure that you, you know, say your piece on this because um, looking at that one, people don't understand what it's like being in those cars that we've already addressed Two, look at like the series as a whole, because those situations happened to more than just you. But like, what can you walk me through like how that all came to be? Like what actually happened? And then obviously like what you dealt with and how you dealt with it afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple situations that, that came up and it was just happened to be like all at the same time within, yeah. you know, a month or two of each other. Um, First and foremost, I haven't flopped. I won't flop, um, period. That's the end of that story. But to dive into it deeper, um, going back to kind of what I was saying earlier, without the flopping aspect of this, once again, this is professional competition drifting. And there are things that happen on the racetrack short of flopping that manipulate the results of each battle. Um, whether it's, you know, this is a, a thing that happens probably more than anything else where someone will purposely in the lead let off for an extended amount of time to make it where, especially on a transition when you're approaching another outer zone where the chase car will pop through the smoke, see that lead car sitting there, be like, Oh shit, have to check up. And you know, as the lead car, when you can get back on and still kind of be online and, and not have 
lights trigger or anything look too crazy. Like there yeah. are strategies that happen in competition drifting to help you win because we're all there to win. Right. And that's okay. Um, you know, that's, there is that's reading, that's reading the rules and knowing how to play the game is, is what it there's is. There's nowhere else, um, you know, is, is it looked at in, in the way that, you know, people try and dissect drifting, um, in the same way, um, where if you want, if you do things to try to win, it's looked at negatively upon you. It's, it is pretty wild to me. And there are people that are better at it and there are people that are not as good at it. And, <laughs> and there's, you know, it's, it's hard to adapt to when somebody's playing games is what, you know, a lot of people call it or, or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think flopping's okay. You know, if you, if you just barely get touched and spin out or shut it down or whatever, that's, there's a level of sportsmanship, I think, at that that needs to be adhered to to keep it, mm -hmm. um, you know, keep the playing field fair. But to kind of go on that, like, I've hit people, people have hit me. In general, you know, you take the center of the door on any given car is kind of the, the medium point. If you hit somebody forward of that with any amount of force, you're going to shift their momentum of their car back the other direction with the front of the car. Um, if you hit them behind that, you're going to add angle to their car. Like that's just how dynamics work of cars making contact with each other, whether it's drifting or, you know, whether you have a collision on the road going home today. Um, that, that's, you know, that's why when you watch cops and the police try and pit maneuver somebody, they hit them, you know, right about the rear tire because it's going to spin them out. Like that's just what happens when you hit a car right there. And it's not any different. And it's, it's really more drastic when you have traction broken. You know, if you hit somebody further back than the center of the door with any sort of level of force, it's going to spin them out. That's why you have to be light. If you're going to make contact with somebody, you know, I, I had a, a deal at, um, eerie when I hit Odie and I didn't, I hit him harder than I meant to hit him. And I came in and, <laughs> and, and hit him like just in front of the left rear tire. And he started to spin out and I like surged forward and hit him in the, the front of the door to kind of straighten him back out. And then just sort of shoved him across the finish line. Cause when I hit him, yeah. I'm like, Oh shit, he's about to spin out. I'm going to lose. Like, and so I just hit him again, like two more times <laughs> further forward to keep him from spinning out. And I don't, not that I thought he was like going to spit out on purpose, but it's just a thing that happens because of where I hit yeah, him. It's the physics of it. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's <clears throat> the other thing about the, the flopping thing is like, it's, I think you, when you accuse somebody of that you're giving somebody a lot of credit for being like a really expert driver. When you say that somebody's going to do that, because you have to process a ton of information in that moment to be able to adequately do that and have it work in your favor. Like you have to understand where you are on the track. If you're in a decel zone, if you were deselling in a way that you shouldn't have been, where they hit you, how the judge is going to view that, if they're going to be able to tell that you perceivably may have flopped, and then you're going to have to make the decision in the way that hopefully it doesn't trash your car in the process. Like, right. That's a lot of information to decipher in a split second moment when you probably didn't even know you were about to get hit before that. It's a solid point because you, you, you don't know because they're, they're coming up, you know, next to you and you're focused in on what's going on. Um, yeah, no, and and it's, that would be a massive gamble, right? In in all aspects, competition, car, whatever. 
to to go like, oh, someone tapped me. I'm just gonna spin the car out and call it a day. Yeah, it's it's a frustrating <laughs> thing to you know, and and we got all sort of hate, and you know, we got <laughs> death threats and everything else when that was happening. And people like people, this is drifting. This is not life or death situations yeah. here. Um, you know, whether it's me or or anybody else, you know, I know with um the Chelsea and Stuky situation this year, there was kind of you know a similar level of, of crazy outrage. Wild. Um you know, on, on either side of that, when people were, you know, sending them direct messages and saying really hateful stuff about, you know, the, yeah. either one's, you know, family and things like that. There's no place for any of that um, with, with any, with anyone in the sport, whether it's drivers or judges or anything like that. At the end of the day, this is, this is just drifting. We're supposed to have a good time and, you know, we all want to win and it's okay to, to push the limits to, to do what we can to win for our team and our sponsors and everything else. But we want to do it the right way. And no matter what happens, um, you know, it, we need to maintain like an ethical standard that, um, we can look ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day, I think. Yeah. I think, I think in drifting in general, there's a lot of like, you hear it a lot. We're like, I don't want to win that way. Right. Like <clears throat> the amount of times where competitors, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting over the same cold. I think you are. Yeah, um, struggling. The, the the amount of time like competitors will help each other out to make sure they can make it to the line, just to be like, yeah, I want to like, no, I don't want to win on a on a buy run. Like, no, I I want you to make it to the line. If I'm gonna beat your like, if I'm gonna beat your ass, I'm gonna do it in person, not because you couldn't get your car together. Like that's that's happened so many times, and I think that's one of the coolest things too about you know. Drifting in particular, racing in general, because I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it happens just in in drifting, but it, I would think it happens, from what I've seen, it happens more in drifting than any other motorsport that I've been a part of. Yeah, 100%. So, I've loaned parts to the person that I'm going to battle that they wouldn't have been able to battle me if I hadn't loaned them the parts. Like, yeah. I would much rather beat them on the racetrack than in the pits. That's... It is... No matter what anybody says, that is not as gratifying of a win. I will take it. Yeah. Um, But but it's not going to feel like you know it would if you just go out there and two guys go out there and make two awesome runs yeah. and you know I don't want to win by somebody zeroing I want to win because we both went out there put forth our best two runs and I drove better than them that's that is the best way to win that's well, why we're here right like that's that's why we're competing it's not to like you know beat somebody because their car didn't run like that's 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 a whole other sport yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure like, you know, endurance racing really. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's, it, it's hard. Um, you know, and it, and it's supposed to be hard, but it's also okay to be competitive and, and do use every tool in the toolbox that you have, um, short of outright cheating to win. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think racing is such an interesting part of like, you know, the word cheating as well, because, I don't know of any other sport where you really interpret the rule book the same way racing does. Like it, there's, there's really not any other sport where you can do that, where you go, here's our regulations. Okay. Well, there's this huge gap in the regulations that if I do this thing, they don't say anything about it. So I, I'm just going to do it. And then eventually they'll outlaw it and then we'll move on and find the next thing. Like that's, that's kind of the coolest part to racing to me is is how creative people get with what they do. Like it's it's fascinating. Yeah, every rule in that rule book, you know, 
has happened because somebody got creative with the rules, you know, and yeah. they had to add one more. And, you know, every every year there's new stuff in red in the rule book and you can go online <laughs> and look at it. And that's because Kevin <coughs> Kevin put new rules in the rule book because some of us idiots are out there pushing it as far as we can possibly push it to try and get a competitive advantage. And again, yeah, that's okay. Cause that's, that's racing. Do you, do you have, do you have any rules in the rule book that are like the Taylor Hall rule? I don't think so. Um, you know, anything that says Cadillac on it's because of me, but, <laughs> um, fair, but fair. you know, and there's a few in there, even though there's not any in the series right now. Um, yeah, there were, there were a few things that I made Kevin work hard for to try and, uh, <laughs> you know, had to go out to a dealership and measure cars in the parking lot and stuff like that to get a baseline. Oh, Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because just because of like the, the chassis, you know, he's he's not sure where pickup points are traditionally and would have to verify that. And, you know, really, I don't even know if anybody now makes angle kits for them. No. Not like not that I'm aware of. No, that that's <laughs> no. that's why I'm not in that car anymore. It's not because it wasn't a competitive car. Um you know, we did a really good job, I think, working with some key partners to um engineer that car as good as it could be done but at the end of the day there was not a wise fab that was going to have yeah. you know the people that do this all day every day and you know on cad and everything building an angle kit for that car to optimize it it was some dumb redneck in the woods you know trying to figure it out the best they can and you know we did pretty good and, and had a lot of success with that car and I, I think um you know when i got to the end of 2020 and um, Achilles got bought by Michelin and dropped out of the sport. I went on next in that following year, and that that tire was a 275, and I could not get the Cadillac down to the weight to yeah. equal a 275. And that was really the biggest downfall of that car. You know, I'm not, you know, talking bad about a tire company. It's just simply the the tire was not proportionate to what that car needed, um, and it really made a struggle that following year. And then we switched chassis the next year. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it, I do think that car on a, I mean, on a 315 would have been, would have been pretty epic. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. There's something about it. I, and, and, you know, going to your point of like no one developing anything for it, there is only one other person I know of, uh, a guy named Gerald who gets the Drifting Pro Am podcast, who's like the only Cadillac guy that's, that's doing anything with them right now, which is, I mean, I don't know. Like, have they come down in price? Like, could you, could you, like, are they obtainable? Is it worth it to to look into? No. Okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> I mean, like the XLR is cool. We, you know, I know Cash is building one of those, and we we looked at doing that, or even just putting the body panels on the vet, just because I have the kind of the background on the Cadillac, and that may still be yeah. something that we do because I think they're cool looking cars. But um, I, I would like to see like a modern take on an XLR, you know, with you know modern type headlights and stuff. Because back in two thousand four, they looked a little, you know, just dated. Yeah. Um, I think he's got, I think he's got his work cut out. Like it's a cool car. Don't get me wrong, but I do think like to, because nobody makes, I think there's like one company that makes a body kit for it. Like I do think he's going to have his work cut out from a little bit to make it not look dated, but it, it, it'll be hard, but I'm, I'm curious to see what he comes up with. Um, you know, the other thing that made us get rid of the Cadillac is like, it sounds dumb and it's probably a, like fixable now, but 
I hit the wall. Like I rubbed the wall so much and I busted a taillight literally every single time I touched oh. the wall in that car. And they're $300 every single time you bust one of those taillights and you have to buy them in pairs. Like nobody sells them uh, as singles other than when they wreck an ATS and they didn't make that many ATS coupes and the coupes are different than the sedans. So it was like a really hard that. thing to continuously fight. And I bet I spent $5,000 in taillights in those cars. <laughs> What a weird, what a weird budgetary line of just like, yeah, taillights, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a season. Yeah. Just, just something you don't expect and don't account for. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of that. Well, hopefully cash doesn't break any taillights or headlights. Cause that'll be a, that'll be an issue too. That car is even rarer. So yeah. Who knows? I know they're different and I'm sure they don't make them anymore. So good luck no. with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, see how it goes for them. See how it goes. They can probably 3d print stuff like now. And that's, that's come so far, even since when I was running the Cadillac, the technology to do all that yeah. stuff, I'm sure that there's a way to do it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I never, I never thought it, which is funny. Cause like I'm a big 3d printing guy. I never even thought like, yeah, you could, you could easily 3d print something that would fit in that spot and it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so what do you got, like any plans for the off season, anything coming up that you're you're working on? You kind of hinted at a second car could be the Cadillac. Yes. Anything fun? (laughs) So like I said, maybe the Cadillac. Um, if not, I've got a, another C6 that, you know, will just be kind of a carbon copy of what the FD car is just a little tamer. Um, you know, wise fab, you'll speak coolovers. And I've got that car sitting on that stuff right now. I'm either going to sell it you know, if I'm able to get the Cadillac back or I'll, I'll build that thing. And the smart thing to do would be to build that car. So I'm getting reps with the same thing that I'm um, doing. But again, I'm so like weird about having something unique and cool. And I like have some nostalgia and I'm a little sentimental in general, but you know, makes it kind of that way with the Cadillac for me. So if I have the chance to get that car back, I'm going to try and do it. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug, man. It is. It's it's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's really bad. Um, you know, that's why I've I've spent um, all of my adult life in pursuit of a, you know, 68 to 70 Dodge Charger because of nostalgia. <laughs> so now I finally got one and uh, I love driving that thing. I try and drive it as much as I possibly can. I just put 7,000 miles on that car right after the season was over. So that was kind of my big like thing to do in, in the off season. Um, we did a a thing where we took the car from Georgia to, to New York. And then we did the cannonball run, um, from New York to LA. And then we road tripped it back route 66, um, and then drove home. So it was like a 7,000 mile trek, but it was, you know, dream come true for me to drive across America in a 70 big block charger. And, uh, just couldn't, I could not recommend that more. Uh, to have a, a road trip and a fun car and do Route 66 while there's still something left to see. That's, yeah, that's pretty sick. That's that's a lot of Americana in, in one road trip. Yeah, in like a week. And we we did SEMA in the middle, so um, tried to tried to do it strategically. But Jesus. a lot of stuff all in a very short time, but it was a ton of fun. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be wild. I just, uh, I mean, my road trip was a, one down to PRI in uh, with my buddy Kyle, and actually the guy that uh, he was on the podcast with us, the guy edits the show. Yeah. So him and I met uh, back in the day uh, through the Mazda Protege community. Believe it or not. So him and I both had you know tuned up proteges. He still got a couple unique car. And I recently, pardon, unique car. 
Yeah, I mean they uh, they were never like amazing. The Mazda Speed versions were pretty cool. Like they were they were peppy. They were never fast. Like stoplight to stoplight, it was pretty quick. But like that's it. So I thought you know for us to road trip down to to PRI, I would make sure my car was ready to go. Except you know both of us are are not super young anymore, and it the car sits pretty low on some very mm-hmm. stiff suspension, and the roads in Indianapolis are not great. No, they're not. So. <laughs> It was like two in the morning. We're just hitting bumps and he just like looks at me. He's like, well, this is fun. I'm like, yeah, I know. Okay. I'm like, we can't turn around now. We're already here. It was just it was like, you know, hindsight looking back, like it still was fun to do it. Cause like, that's how we knew each other. But like at the time I'm kind of like, shit, like I could have stiffened the suspension. I could have raised the car up. Like I could have done so many things to make this better. <laughs> it's funny when you look back on stuff like that. It's just, I think the same thing about all the, cross-country runs and stuff we've done i don't remember well all the stuff that went well or that went right but all the yeah. all the shit that went terribly wrong makes for the best stories when you're all said and done yeah my my wife puts it really well she says it adds to the plot like every time something like really weird or like nasty will happen she's like well it adds to the plot and i'm like it's a good point like this will make for a really good story you know when it's all over right now it sucks but like when I get to talk about it, it's it'll be great. Yeah. My slave cylinder went out in my charger in Oklahoma City. I had to drive the last thousand miles of the trip back with no clutch. Like was an Damn. interesting situation. How did you just stop? Like yeah, no, you'd need fuel. What how did you do that? So <laughs> uh it was right at a thousand miles. It was with the cannonball cars and with the charger, I've run a secondary fuel cell. So I've got like right at four, okay. 40 gallons of fuel on board, which helps, but it's not enough to get a thousand miles, um, but it did limit our fuel stop. So basically you just start the car in gear because it's a manual transmission. Mm. I've got a five speed in it. Um, and then you massacre the synchros trying to mess rev match um, first through fifth. You cruise for 400, 500 miles stop. And it all was pretty good until uh, we hit traffic in, in Memphis and it redirected me. And we had to go through like 20 red lights and like you literally have no clutch. So what I did was basically get in the far right lane and slow down to like five miles an hour, just creeping as slow as I possibly could until the light changed and then accelerate. And that worked for all but one light. Um, (laughs) And it forced me to stop and it was like an uphill incline and I was trying to restart the car and it's not starting. I'm in the middle of the intersection. People are blowing and honking the horn at me like I don't know my car shut off. (laughs) (laughs) And it finally restarted and I'm flipping the bird to people and everything. But it was uh, (laughs) like, what sort of asshole doesn't know that the car, their cars broke down in the middle of the road. You don't have to honk at me and tell me, I know. Yeah. You could get out and push. That would help. Like that would, if you'd like to continue on your journey, you could just push it and then that would help. Yeah. Like I'm sitting here Uh, bumping the starter and it's slowly trying to creep through the intersection. And we finally got it back going, but it was not a fun time. (laughs) <laughs> but it makes good it makes for a great story and enhances the plot. Exactly. No, that's that's great. Oh, that's yeah. I don't think I've had anything quite to that mechanical. I've had a lot of mechanical failures on road trips. I mean, my family lives six hours away, so like you know, we're driving back and forth all the time. I went to to college five hours away from where I grew up. Like, Same. you know, and when you're you know in your twenties, like it's a it's a shit car. So you just anything to get back. I do remember brakes, a brake line blowing out like two hours from home and just being like, I, I can do this. Like, yeah. I know that I, like, if I need to, I can pump the brakes enough to stop, but I just, I'm going to use it as little as possible between here and there. 
Yeah, you figure out like yeah. what you can and can't do very quickly um, when you're faced with a situation like that, where it's either sit yeah. there and wait, or you figure it out. Yeah, and I wasn't mechanically inclined enough to like you know get a pair of vice grips and clamp the line down, but it was the winter and there was a lot of snow. So it's like worst case scenario, I just put it into a snowbank. Like <laughs> I don't care about this car. I'll just I'll just stuff it in a snowbank. I don't care. So it's good attitude. That was that was yeah. I mean that was the ultimatum. Was I mean worst case scenario? Oh no, my brakes blew and I get you know I get a new car because I can. It's an insurance claim. It'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. As far yeah. as as far as the other stuff for the off season, I mean, um, as I think you've talked about on the show, Kenda's been working with FD and coming out with a new tire. Um, I have a very high level of confidence that that's going to be um, a continued step up in the progression of, you know, what we're bringing to the table with that. Um, you know, we, we are still working on all of our contracts, but um, had a really good relationship with, with Ed and Kenda and developing that. So yeah. we're excited to hopefully continue progressing that and um, get them on the box this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't delved into it too much, but like, obviously the tire was not perfect coming like throughout this year, but any conversation I've had with anybody at Kenda and, and like you guys as well, um, like any of the drivers, it's always been, we're providing feedback. They're listening to that feedback and they are developing the compact. Like they developed it through the year. <clears throat> they had testing. I was, I tried everything, but bribing Ed to find out how the testing went and who was testing. But uh, I got I got nothing out of them. So I got nothing more um, to report here. <laughs> ah, damn it! <laughs> Wait, off air. Um, Although, yeah, I will I'm, say I'm it, I will say it went well and leaves us all with um, high high hopes and high expectations moving into next year. Yeah, I I do think. I mean, with any new compounds, you know, and and Kendas were praised for their longevity, and I don't know why anybody expected anything else when they came out of it. The the downside with long, longevity though is just it's grit. The upside though is the tires held up. Like you didn't have huge DLAM issues. Like that's the thing. I would I would take longevity over tires that just detonate any day of the week. Uh, we you know we we don't have to go into who and when and all that, but we know that we've yeah. seen that in, in the <laughs> yeah. not too recent or you know not too distant past. Um, I will one thousand percent not want to deal with that <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. That was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. I, I'm I'm very hopeful as well. I mean, I want to see more as we kind of as we talked about as well. Like, what happens now with those tires is only going to mean better things for people, you know, grassroots or just party drivers or whatever, right? Like, you know, we already knew that you could get a Kenda that was long that had a lot of life in it. Now you'll be able to get a Kenda that has a lot of grip in it as well. So it's like it only benefits everybody below the sport because the only way to develop it to that level is by putting it through the ultimate torture test, which is an FD car. A hundred percent. And, you know, we, we did that and everybody there has been more than willing to listen to feedback and they want to, they're like-minded. They want to win just like we do. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're willing to do whatever's necessary, just like we are to accomplish those goals. Sick. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that for, for sure. Any uh, any plans on the on the holidays other than trying to avoid as much Taylor Swift Christmas music as possible? Oh God, that's that's my wife. Um, no, we got like I say, my parents are coming up, and her parents are coming up, and I'll be forced out of the shop for a few days, um, which is a <laughs> much, much needed break um, for me to be, you know, have my hand forced to enjoy some less stress time and. 
yeah, just try and sure up a few of my projects. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a storage facility too, that we've started that business. We try and spend, spend a little <laughs> bit of time investing in that. Um, basically it's a deal where you can store your car and there's also a lift and some service items. So you can work on your own car and store it in there. Um, you know, 24, seven, 365 access. So again, something that I didn't have that I would have liked to have, you know, provided to me. So we're providing it to other people. And then, uh, Tamara and I are going to start a new podcast. Um, and we're, we're going to call it hell on wheels. So, um, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of suits us, I think. And that'll be coming out here in the next so. few weeks. Sick. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I, 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 you and I chatted a little bit about it, but yeah, if you need any help with, with any of that stuff, I'm, I'm more than happy to provide recommend. I mean, you got, you got a, you got a mic now from the show. Yeah. It, it works great. So, uh, grab another one of those and, I'm excited to see that just because you you guys have such a funny relationship in in the way that you communicate. I, I mean, I don't know if the podcast will be anything like it is between radios, but if it is, it's it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that it will. Um, and we're we're brutally honest with each other um, to a fault, which is which is great. And you know, hopefully, something that everybody can have in their you know husband or wife or life partner or whatever. You need somebody that that'll be honest with you. Um, and that will push yeah. you to be your best self. And she definitely does that for me. And hopefully I do that for her and we'll have a good time talking about drifting and other forms of racing and life in general, and just our take on the craziness that is the world today. She is a, a very passionate lady. Um, I've, I've seen it in, in full force many a time. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to see that show. Uh, if anything else, just her like berating you, I think would be <laughs> worth the price of admission. <laughs> yeah, we'll try and work at least one of those in per episode. Um, you know, she, I think it'll happen organically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. If there's anything that I'm, you know, expressing explicitly that I that is my opinion on something that she disagrees with, she is definitely not scared to uh, to tell me that she disagrees and and why her opinion is better. And that's why we work well together. Can I can I suggest you guys battle about mayonnaise to begin with? Oh, um, I think that's a good jumping off point. Yeah, that's that's uh, not something that anybody will ever change my mind. My my boss at work um, bought me a shirt with a, a a jar of mayonnaise that says something <laughs> to the effect of "How many times do I have to tell you no?" Like blanking mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely hate mayonnaise. It's the most disgusting condiment that's ever been created. I don't know why it has a purpose ever. Man, Southern boy too. Like that mayo is kind of the kind of the jam down there. I'm 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 shocked by this. Yeah, I I um, consider myself to be extremely southern, but I am like kind of a picky bitch when it comes to food, just in general. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't do I don't do grits. I don't do coleslaw. I don't do mayonnaise. Um, I don't do gravy. Um, I, what? yeah, I wasn't forced to eat like stuff, I guess when I was growing up and it just made me the most miserable person to deal with ever when it comes to food, I think, but I like Taylor the things that I like. Yeah. I'm going to start calling you kids menu. Yeah. That's, uh, Give me that's chicken amazing. fingers and ketchup and I'll be all set. <laughs> oh man. I, I, hopefully we didn't just start something like people are going to come up with like mayo packets and leave them in the pit. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Like I, I don't even like the side of it. It's, it's, ugh, it's <laughs> any. I don't like. What I don't it? like. I don't like that. And I don't like any food that looks like it's been previously chewed and regurgitated, like birds do for their young. <laughs> like, 
Stiff gross. I can't. I, oh, I, the answer is mashed no. potatoes. Yeah, no, uh, I'm coming around. Like now that I'm in my 30s, I'm coming <laughs> around to stuff like that. I think I had my first baked potato like two years ago, and I'm like, pretty good. Damn, damn, dude. Yeah, that's what it is. That's, that's a, it's one of the things that tomorrow is like. You have to eat this. Like you've been missing out on this for 30 years. You're gonna eat it. I'm gonna sit here and force you, I, and I'm gonna withhold things that you don't want withheld. I think I. I think you guys should open the show with you being forced to try something you've never eaten before. Oh, God. That should be the intro to every show. It's just you being like, no, I won't do it. <laughs> it's probably a, a good hot take. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Oh, oh damn. Oh, man. That joke went way further than I thought it would. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very strongly opinionated when it comes to my my picky eating habits. Oh, oh this is this is awesome. I love it. Cool. Um, man, anything else? Any anything else you want to plug or or mention? I think we I think we got to most of my list. I don't think there's now hates mayonnaise. That was definitely on there. Uh yeah, I think that's my whole list, man. No, I just appreciate, you know, you providing this outlet to to have for the drivers and the teams and the sponsors. Of course, appreciate all of my sponsors and my crew. You know, there's there's so many people that go unthanked um not not purposely but you know whether it's not on a a social platform or whatever but there's so many people that it takes to put all of this on um you know the the judges ryan and his staff like everybody um at fd you know can at times catch a lot of heat for um a call or you know how they think the series needs to be run but at the end of the day this is this premier series in the world for a reason. Um, and everybody from across the world wants to come and run here and succeed here because it's the best. Um, and you don't get that way without having the best people involved and doing your best to strive for excellence. So, um, for, for you, for the FD staff, for my team, for my crew, for my sponsors, you know, just from the bottom of my heart, thank, thanks to everybody. And of course the fans that watch this and that come out and spend their time and money and effort to, to come out here and, and cheer us or boo us or whatever you're going to do. Um, you know, just do it with all your heart, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, Hey, thank you, man. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad we, we finally got to do it. I know we were as with like all the drivers just trying to schedule you guys in as like a full-time job, but it's, yeah, the mic. it's good. I'm glad we got to. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, I made the the mistake of of trying to order stuff on Black Friday and expect it to show up on time. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I'm glad we we got it sorted, and um, I'm looking forward to to seeing what next year looks like for you. Hopefully, the as much as I want to see you in a Cadillac like more because I know it'll help. It, I or sorry, as much as I want to see you in a vet more because it'll help. I want to see you in the Cadillac because I I do absolutely love that car. So. Uh, yeah, I hope that I hope that works out for you. If not, just build another one. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, the, the guy that built mine is is working on building his own personal one, so he's made a few improvements, and I'm sure that there's some new stuff to be added that could make the car even more competitive. And my goal with that is to have a car that, you know, whether kind of regardless of of how it turns out i want a second car that i could in a pinch if i had happened to me what happened to james dean at irwindale you know i could have a second car that's fd legal and be able to to roll it off there's not a lot of teams out there that have that option um yeah and, and whether it's the cadillac or another corvette 
you know, a proven car that, you know, is going to be a reliable thing. You know, if that happened in Thursday practice, that could be a real thing that you could roll a second car off. And I think that's, you know, hopefully where we're going to go as a sport where every team can have, you know, that level of, um, you know, availability, whether it's parts or cars or support in any kind of way. And I think that that's, as long as we continue to build the way that we're all doing, I think we'll get to more teams um, and, and more support than we already have. I just want to, I want to see it all continue to rise. And, um, you know, I, I think if all the teams can continue to elevate, that's only going to be good for the sport. Yeah. I think we need, uh, I think we need an Earnhardt racing team in FD. I think that would be like an absolute dream come true for you. I think that, that would, I, I think we would see a grown man cry we would, uh, if we that would. ever happened. Yeah. hundred percent. So sick, dude. I'm, I'm glad we got to do this. Thank you so much. Um, this is a ton of fun and uh, I'm excited to hang out with you in Long Beach and, um, yeah, just see everybody at the, at the start of the season too. So thank you everybody for listening and watching. This is the final episode of the season, which is crazy to think that we did 40, I think 46 episodes this year. Uh, didn't miss a week, which is, that was, a, that was just for me. That was a personal one. I didn't want to miss a week and, uh, it was very difficult, but, uh, we made it work. Um, yeah, we'll catch everybody in, in January when we kick things off again. So. Great job with it. Thanks for having me on and we'll see you next year. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Oh!